Amen. Uh, one last praise note. We got numbers last night. Patricia's been working hard to tally them. Through September, that's nine months, right? Now, look around, by the way. Do you see anybody with Donald Trump's haircut in here? Uh, when you look out in the parking lot, do you see any Rolls Royces? In nine months, our ministry gave away more than $75,000 to, to missions. That's more than 40 cents out of every dollar. Y'all, God can bless this because we're doing what he tells us to do with it. I've never been more proud of anything in my life than that. Right? But that doesn't mean you're going to get off easy today. Amen? <laughs> Y'all don't want an easy word, do you? No. You didn't come here for me to tell you how great you are. There's another church that will tell you you're a champion. We came here to examine our lives as compared to Jesus. Amen? So let's, let's get our message started. Uh, today is October 21st. It is uh, 2012. We're going to start in Deuteronomy 19.11. Our message today is called En Hakor. It's the name of the Hebrew town uh, in Israel. So tell me when you're in Deuteronomy 19. Here comes the 11th verse. Are y'all there? you got to talk to me this there, morning. There. Rick, are you there? there? Come on, Rick's there. In Deuteronomy 19.11, But if a man hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him, assaults and kills him, and then flees to one of these cities. He goes on to describe a, a city of refuge. Uh, if, a man lie, if a man hates his neighbor and lies in wait for him, assaults and kills him. The Hebrew people love the word. I mean, they love the Torah. And what happens is they see in this a pattern. Hate leads to lying in wait or premeditation. Premeditation leads to the assault and the assault leads to killing. This led them to teach a principle called Calvay Comer. This meant the light and the heavy. It, it literally has to do with a small thing and a big thing in their relationship. And one of the things that the rabbis loved to do in Jesus' day was to lay this principle out, teach on something small, and then go how much more and teach on a weightier matter. This comes from Deuteronomy 19.11. It comes right out of the Torah. But often they left the people guessing, like you weren't sure when you started speaking. You pick a matter that seems very, very heavy, but it's actually the light one in the end. And this caused kind of a smile. In fact, by the time you get to the fifth chapter of Matthew, you hear Jesus say something like this. This is Matthew 5, uh, 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, doesn't that sound like a pretty heavy, heavy issue? Gouge it out and throw it away. But it's the lighter when compared with the alternative. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, many people have misunderstood these scriptures, but Jesus is teaching on something that's shocking. Gouge out your eye. Cut off your hand rather than continue to sin, right? And, and it's supposed to make you go, what? What did he just say? But when compared to the result of not doing that, going into hell with your whole body, it's very clear what he's trying to say. An aggressive attitude towards sin. This is not common in our teaching. Nick, Sam, y'all come on in. Dude. There's a seat right here. This is not common in the way that we teach. We like to compare and contrast. But the Hebrews were a little deeper thinkers than we are. On that note, we're going to talk today out of Judges. You're going to be able to get there, but I have a video for you first. I have all of my life, all of my religious life anyway, all of my born-again experience, had this immaturity where I often call out denominations. I, I haven't been able to help it. And if I was a part of the denomination, then I particularly called it out. I'm trying to go in opposite. Now I'd like to show you men I have found in each denomination that we love, right? You know what's better than a Baptist? 
a Reformed Baptist. Wait till you hear this guy preach. This is amazing. Uh, it's shocking, but it has to do with Calvay Comer. I want you to hear it. and then you go right back with your hand and your eyeball firmly attached. Oh yes, once in a while you take a dull paring knife and scratch your hand and occasionally you, you scratch around your eyeball but you haven't begun to come off and cloud. You better listen to the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter. But he that does the will of my Father in heaven. If ye by the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. If you live after the flesh, you'll die. The cross does not give us a minor shift or two with regard to a few of our ethical and moral and religious values. The cross radically disrupts the very center and citadel of your life from self to Christ. And if the cross has not done that, you're not a Christian! My friend, face it! Young or old, you're not a Christian! Until the cross has radically disrupted the very center and citadel of your life and brought you from a life of commitment to serve self, whether it's religious self, moral self, proud self, covetous self, lustful self, prideful self, unforgiving self, lazy self. It doesn't matter what are the focal points of the reign of yourself. If you've gone to the cross in union with Christ, it's been shattered. I want you in that day when you stand with me before the judge of the world to have him say, come you blessed, come you blessed. I don't want to look at you standing there saying, Lord, 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 I named you in earth. I named you before the elders. I named you before the church. 
I named you in prayer meeting. I named you in witness. And Lord, now, Lord, Lord, did I not this? Did I not that? I don't want to hear him say, Depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of anything. You never were made a doer of the will of God. You learned enough, and you learned what to say properly enough to be accepted for what you professed yourself to be on earth. But now the day of judgment has come, and the truth is now to be known. That was Al Martin, his Baptist, but you wouldn't know it. Friends, I want to tell you that when I met the King of Kings, the way that I met him was by understanding my true condition. In 1993, I was angry. And I was angry because the people around me, their lives were convicted about my sin. When I stood next to them, when I saw the way that they were living, it pointed with a loud, glaring pointed that I was not right with God. Scriptures like 1 John that said, If any man says he has fellowship with the Father and yet walks in darkness, he lies and does not practice the truth. They were piercing. I thought somebody had written them to me. Now, I've been in many services, many times in my life, but suddenly this became a very personal issue to me. And in the midst of my anger, in the midst of being upset with the whole religious world, in the midst of being upset with myself, and under the weight of the condemnation of sin. I raised my hands somewhere between wrath and malice. And I said, Lord, what are you going to do about this guy? I was home alone. And he spoke to me. And his word pierced my very being. And when I say he spoke to me, he spoke to me in an audible way. It knocked me down. It changed everything about me. I didn't have to question, was that the Lord or not the Lord? I didn't spend time wondering whether this was my thought or His thought. Friends, nobody should be denied this experience. Nobody should come up short of a personal encounter with the living God that leaves you changed. And if what we got was window dressing at an altar, if what we got was a cheap, greasy prayer and no changed life, you were lied to. Lied to. In this church, we don't want to just point to problems. We don't want to point out and say, oh, that church and this church and that church. We want to point to solutions. And as I began to pray about the state of the church today, as I began to look around and think about what it was that changed my life, what took me from an empty teenager with a great big void in my life that athletics couldn't fill, that lust couldn't fill, that violence couldn't fill, when I was left in a place where I was considering suicide, but too proud to do it because I thought it was for losers. Jesus radically disrupted my life. Absolutely radically knocked it off of its axis and center. And there was not a single person who knew me who couldn't see it. And many are in this room today. I want to ask you, if we strip away words that men gave you, if we leave you sitting in a position where you cannot say, so-and-so told me, so-and-so led me, and you are left with just what have you experienced personally with God? What scripture came alive to you? What pierced your heart? And now you know, you know that you know that you know. Where does that leave you? If your salvation starts with, oh, Matthew, 
student prayed with me at an altar. Eric, you led me in that prayer. And it ends there. How superficial is that? Come on. The Holy Spirit is about the regenerating work in a believer's life. And it can't be hidden from the world. He heals. That's true. He, he empowers people to do supernatural things. That's true. But the most powerful supernatural thing that happens is a life that is changed. As I began to pray about this problem, I think the Lord gave me something from my past that blessed me. So turn with me to Judges. We're going to be in Judges 13. <laughs> I don't at all mind if you get upset. I don't at all mind if you begin to squirm in your seat a little bit and think, you know, maybe there's an easier path. Maybe there's a better church for you. Maybe better children's programs. Maybe, maybe handed coffee at the door or fanned and fed grapes. None of that bothers me. And the reason that it doesn't bother me is because those who have encountered the living God don't want anybody to settle for something less. We are sick of the inoculation that happens that keeps people from accepting the whole thing. And I want to encourage you, whether you've been born again one year, 20 years, 30 years, makes no difference. We never stop getting filled with His presence. We never stop getting moved by His Word. And when our stories are 20 years old, so is our faith. He is the God of salvation today. And friends, every time I've ever come over a hurdle, every time, there was another one waiting. Don't compromise. Don't stand back. Don't play it easy. So you got hurt. This is a contact sport. We're going to get hurt. Praise God, we have Yahweh Rapha who heals. So some Christians didn't treat you right in your life. Of course they didn't. They're sinners like you. Oh, your church wasn't perfect. It wasn't the moment you walked into it. It wasn't. But you know what? Our king is perfect. He is perfect. He is never. All of his words are righteous. All of his words are like pure silver. Are you in Judges 13? Yeah. Uh, skip down to verse 5. Why don't we just read in verse 1? Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistine for 40 years. A certain man, Azora, named Manoah, from the clan of the tribe of Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. This is the state of every Christian, friends. This is the state of every man who ever came to a saving faith. You were incapable of producing life. Sterile. You could not have life or fruit come out of you, but the Lord appears and says, But you will conceive. Come on, salvation is a process. And sometimes we, we conceive when we hear the Word of God, but there's a gestation period that is a kind of counting the cost. And then somewhere there better be a new life that comes out of the old life. Somewhere you ought to be able to look and say, I can see fruit on that tree. It says there was a certain man. Come on now, each of you was picked. You were picked by the living God. You could not be here today were it not by His benevolent mercy. But He brought us to a place where we could be loved enough to be challenged, loved enough to be encouraged, loved enough to have someone walk beside you through your difficulty. He picked an impossible situation and the angel of the Lord appeared. He said, you are sterile. Faith does not deny our problems, friends. Faith, faith faces the fact that our bodies are as good as dead. It faces the fact 
that it looks like there's no way that this can come about, yet it, it, it reasons, as Romans 4 says, God is able to perform what He's promised. Whatever it is that stands against us, we don't have to deny it's there. We have to deny that it has power over God's will. Because it doesn't. It's a lie. She had been sterile how many ever years she had been sterile. She didn't simply not receive it. She didn't simply say it's not there. She faced it and said, my God is bigger. Christians face our problems. The floodwaters that try to keep us from crossing the Jordan. But our faith rises above it. Our trust in the living God rises above it. But you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that no, see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth. I don't have time to teach on what a Nazarite is, but there's many messages online. You can look it up. We shaved Cody's head in front of the whole church one time. Israel was already set apart. They were already those who were destined to be God's sons. But among those who were set apart, sometimes God pushes one just a little further. He might even make him wear camel's hair and eat uh, locusts in the desert. He might bring a message that nobody else, even among the people of God, accepts that says, repent, the kingdom is at hand. Do you know why Israel had a problem with this message? They believed they were right already. You know why the church has a problem with this message? We believe we're right already. And why? Because we've been taught to say the right things. We've been taught to agree to the right doctrinal principles. At four key points in a service, we can go, uh-huh. This is no substitute for the changing inward work of the Holy Spirit that pervades and invades every area of your life, every thought. It judges the attitudes of your heart. Amen. This is the work that Jesus died to allow you to have. I know we're hurt. We're hurt. Or we're distracted. Or we're so many things. Jesus came all the way that you would go all the way with Him. How dare we stop short and profess the power of heaven but show none of it on the earth. I'm telling you, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of religion. I, I've been a pastor now for 20 years. If it can be said, I've heard it, friends. I've heard it. I've heard all of the religious formulas, and they, they break down in the face of real experience. My God is anything but predictable. He's anything but small enough to be neatly defined in four corners. He's so big that the universe can't contain Him, and so personal to me that He fits in a child's heart. He will invade your life. He will guide it. He will lead it. He will lead you into all righteousness. He is the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Listen to why he was set apart. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. At the same time that God says his people went into bondage, you know what he was planning? Their redemption. Come on, theologians, it works the same way in Genesis. At the same time that a curse is being placed upon the human race, God speaks of their redemption. His foot shall crush your head, Genesis says. God never allowed His people to go into bondage without providing a redemption. He loves us. His will was never to burn us. It was never to throw us out. It was never to push us away. It was always to save, heal, restore, unite. Amen. The 
story of the Bible is a story of a husband who loves his wife and she is wayward and he is calling her to repentance. Not because he hates her, but because he loves her. When we think of the ten mitzvahs, the commandments, we hear and see in it love language. These are things that secular theologians have crept into the church and corrupted our marriage counseling. Everything you ever need is in the Word. Listen to God the groom. He says, you shall have no gods beside me. I want spiritual monogamy. And in the second command, I, I don't even want their pictures around. No graven images. Any of you husbands want your wife to carry around a picture of a high school boyfriend? No. Why do we think God would accept it? Lord, I feel like you've called me to do this and that, but you know, there's a football game that day. Come on now. Uh, how about the third commandment? You don't misuse the name of the Lord your God, right? When you get married, it's the first time in your life you're both sharing the last name. And what you do affects it. Yeah, if you came up in some families I know, you know, when they hear your last name, it can mean good or it can mean bad. Right? You're sharing. A, we share God's name. How about the fourth commandment? One day a week. Just one day a week. I want you to sanctify it. I've actually sanctified it. I want you to participate in it with me. Anybody here thinks their spouse doesn't want to spend one day alone with them? One day? Come on, if that's not the case, then you need help. You need the regenerating work of God's Holy Spirit inside of you. The next six commandments say how they're going to act outside the house, but I didn't come to teach on the commandments. The point of this is that we should have a personal relationship that invades every area of our life. We carry His name. We carry His name. What happens when people who carry the name live just like the world? Israel is hiding. They're cowards in this chapter. They're called to be free, but instead they have accepted bondage. This is the same thing as a church that has decided that we are just sinners. That we are just sinners and there's nothing else. The living God has called us to be more than sinners. We have been born from above. A new species, Curtis. A new species, brother. We are something born of the heavens and the earth. Sin is no longer our master. But John 8 says, To Jews who believed, he said to them, The man who sins is a slave to sin. He said this to people who were following him and believed him. Saints, it's time to get it holy. This guy was born, Samson was born for the deliverance of Israel. That's why he's there. Why did Jesus Christ come? 1 John 3 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the enemy's work. Why were you born again? Why are you here? We're supposed to be seeing people delivered, healed, restored. You're a part of the body of Messiah. If you don't pray for their healing, who will? If you don't stretch out and show them the love of God, who will? How can we sit on our salvation when so much has been given to us while they die every day out there? When the Spirit of the living God gets hold of you, you can no longer just sleep late and think, oh, it's going to be fine. You can no longer just go to movie after movie after movie thinking that somehow or another that entertainment will fill you. It won't work. I'm not preaching against sleeping. I happen to love it. Not preaching against movies. Some of you think they're great. I'm telling you that none of those things satisfy. That's right. Proverbs says it's a disgraceful son that sleeps during the harvest. What are we doing? Is your life about you and your comfort? Or is your life about their deliverance? Is your life about seeing people set free? 
Come on now, church. This little bitty body of believers, this speck in Houston, reverberates in the heavens. You know why? Because we're sold out for the gospel. But you know what? You don't get a free pass any more than I do. Every time I go to my knees in prayer, every time I don't get a giant pat on the back from God that says you are a champion, I get the measure of Christ. And I still fall woefully short. There's more work to be done. My neighbors are not born again. My family members are not born again. And many who believe they are, as Fabian said, his ministry has been preaching to unbelieving believers. Of course, you've got to scratch your head and wonder if there can be such a thing, huh? To be carnally minded is death, Romans says. It doesn't say unless you're a Christian. To be carnally minded is death. It's death. Have we lost the backbone, as Michael preached, the chutzpah? What would you call it, Michael? Shame, shameless audacity to stand up and tell the truth. What happens when you cage the tiger, when you pull the teeth of the cobra? Come on, guys. We are supposed to be the most dangerous thing that has walked the planet spiritually. Don't you let this world tame you. Samson is in a difficult position. He's called to deliver a people, but nobody told those people. Turn with me to Judges 15. There. Look at the ninth verse. There. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. Isn't it interesting? The lost spread out. The righteous grouped together. We grouped together in our little churches, our prayer meetings. Uh, this is the one month of year, right? It's, it's, it's got a dark holiday in it. Everybody's terrified, I know. How pictures of demons and all of those things. And you'll get Christians that go, Ooh, this is the one time a year in the United States lost people are going to knock on your door. It's the one time a year God is bringing them to you. You call it the devil's night? Uh, are you kidding me? They're going to come to your door. And they're going to ask you for something. What are they going to ask you for? Give them something that will feed them spiritually. Yeah? Wow, when did we decide that we should turn off the lights and bar our door and hide from the world? When you, we are the agent of change in the world. Yeah. What happens when the liberator lays down? What happens when the man who God said sets them free is the deliverer of Israel, goes and hides instead? Church, we can rise to this occasion. Yeah. We're not doing a fall festival. I'm not going to give your kids more candy or go ride around on some stupid hayride. You know what? Teach them to give the gospel. Amen. Tell them you'll give them a Snickers for every person saved. Right? <laughs> the Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The men of Judah asked, why have you come to fight us? Come on now, what a stupid question. Why does the thief come? It's John 10.10. 10. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Christians, when attacked by the devil, act like, why are you bothering me? I wasn't bothering you. I thought we were just going to, you know, agree to disagree for a while. It doesn't work this way. It's kind of like in the book of, uh, of Esther, when Haman had the death order already issued, but there were Jews going about their way, just acting like every day would be the same as tomorrow. And Mordecai showed up to Esther and said, Look, little Hadassah, don't think that God can't bring deliverance. If you won't do it, it'll come by some other way. But you need to know you're not going to escape this. And perhaps God brought you to this place 
for such a time as this. Friends, we need to realize the timing. We need to realize that our king birthed us for such a time as this. Come on. Who in here wants to let their, their child starve while they go play? Hmm? Anybody in here love Abby? Mm-hmm. Yeah? A few of you? Yeah. What Abby do to the rest of you? Why don't you love her? <laughs> so you got to imagine I'm calling you. I'm saying, JJ, Abby, she needs food. She needs food, and you know what? She's scared, and it's cold, and it's dark. Can you? What would I think of JJ if he said, Oh, the Lord, he, He'll take care of her. He sits the lonely in families, but He sits on His hands. Mm. Me and JJ are going to have words at some point. Mm. There will be a reckoning. Friends, this is the position the church is in. These are His children. These are lives He cares about. And we quote what the Lord will do, and we forget we are His body. There will be a reckoning just as surely as if you guys stood by and my little girl was starving. There will be a reckoning because he loves them more than I love my little girl. It's hard to imagine that's possible. Come on, dig deep. Get the heart of God. He is not interested in our comfort. Uh, men like Leonard Ravenhill said he came to afflict the comfortable. And he came to comfort the afflicted. The church has become obsessed with what it has. It's become obsessed with wealth and carnality. So much so that the gospel's been twisted into a get-rich-quick scheme. I tell you, there is nothing that will rob your life of earthly riches faster than a total surrender to the King of Kings. Nothing. Because every time you go see great need, you feel personally responsible to me. Ask me, who's been to Mexico with me in this room? Yeah. Did we ever come back with money in our pockets? I've come back without shoes. I've come back without a shirt. I've come back without all kind of things. But I have never come back with a pocket full of money. You know why? The need at our border outpaces the number of workers in the field. It's like we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up more. Why have you come to fight us? The people are astounded that they're at war with the Philistines who are occupying them. We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Who were they mad with? Samson. They were mad with Samson because he's the only man in Israel that understands his job is to kill Philistines. He's the only one left in Israel who understands he is there to be their worst nightmare. He is there to see people liberated. He is there, he said one time, to make donkeys of them. Come on now. We tremble in the corner and we act like the devil is the one with all the power. We forget he's already been tagged as defeated. That's right. yeah. So it feels pretty real in my life. When you're pushed, friends, how far are you going to be pushed before you push back? I think maybe one time or sometimes the reason God calls people that were so far gone. I don't say like you, Curtis, but I will say like me. Maybe like Rick back there. People who were so far gone like us is because there is something deep down inside. Maybe it was carnal back then, but the Lord has used it in His kingdom. He has reshaped it. You can only push me so far before there will be a reaction. I've been pushed as far as I want to go by the devil. As far, it's time to push back, saints. It is time to push back. When He tells you you can't, you say, you watch this in the name of Jesus. I will do it and more. We will see people saved and filled with the Holy Ghost today. And if you meet religious, religious resistance, be excited. This is what crucified Jesus. You have met the face of the enemy. It is not Satanists who crucified Jesus. It were people who were supposed to support him. 
You know who crucifies the deliverers in the church today? The church. We would rather see ourselves as champions than we would see ourselves rightly. You know what I loved about Al Martin's video? Number one, it makes me want to get saved every time I hear it. <laughs> Driving down the road, I'm getting saved under Mike's seat as, as I hear it. He was preaching to his church. Come on, you know, that's love. That's love. These are attending, tithing, USDA-stamped Christians, right? But he was not scared to put them before the judgment seat of Christ because he knows one day they will stand there. And if you pass the test now, you will pass the test then. But don't think you can fail it every day. Live like hell all the way to heaven. It will not work. Corinthians says, Do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etim and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? John 8.34 says, Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. These people knew that the Philistines were rulers over them. And they were mad with the one who came to set them free. Wow, we would like to think we're not in that group. But let me ask you, how do you, we're all good when we talk about sin in the world, right? Y'all nod your heads. Everybody agrees there's sin in the world, right? Yes. I don't see any disagreement in the room. But when we say, is there sin in your life, suddenly it gets uncomfortable, don't we? We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about, we went on vacation and maybe God called us to go to our neighbor instead. We don't want to talk about our lives. We're fine talking in general platitudes about them out there. And every once in a while we'll read in a, uh, an inspiring book like Radical or something. And we'll be excited for what they are doing. But at the end of the day, this is not what Jesus will ask you. He will not ask you what they did. What you agreed was right. It comes down to either you did or did not do the will of the Father in your life. Amen. God has a will for you. Amen. Ephesians 2 said He prepared good work in advance for you. That means, Brandon, nobody can do the work that he called you to do. He prepared it for you. He prepared it for you, Nolan. You remember the first time we met? I mean, you talk about crazy. Nolan liked to smoke weed. He mostly liked to sleep and smoke weed. But the moment that Jesus invaded his life, everything begins to change. It's not a list of religious rules. He suddenly wanted to please God. He started to volunteer to go on work crews. We went and built fences for free. You've got to be born again to do that. He changes it. He's a radical shift in your whole life. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rocket ETM and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? What had he done to them? Isn't that a question? He came to set them free. He came to set them free. He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Who wants to tie him up? His own people. Who wants to tie Samson up? His own people. Who did he come to save? His own people. He came to save his own people, but they didn't recognize the salvation. Is this sounding familiar do you think it's the Jews' only friends? It happens to us all of the time. The very thing that would set us free 
we run from. So I don't recall doing that. How about the rich young ruler? What would have set him free? This one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He walked away sad because he had so much. It would have set him free. Has Jesus ever told somebody to do something that was eternally damning to them? No, this was life, an abundant life. But he simply walked away showing contempt for God because he had a will for his life. Did you know that the sin of the Pharisees was not Phariseeism? That was not even a word. They rejected God's plan for their lives, is what Luke says. And I, I'm going to tell you the truth. The average Pharisee had far more scripture memorized than you do. Lived far cleaner lives than you do. They would absolutely vomit at some of the things that you allow into your living room every day. And yet they missed the kingdom of God because they rejected His will for their lives. Come on, church. It's time to wake up. Are we tying up those who came to deliver us? Every time somebody gives you a word that you don't like, do you just go find somebody else to hang out with? Because the sons of God love correction. Proverbs 12 says, He who hates correction is stupid. stupid. They said to him, We've come to tie you up and hand you over to Philistine. Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Huh. What a nice guy, huh? You can tie me up, just don't kill me. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. How nice. How sweet. He came to deliver them. And what are they doing? Tying him up. Have you ever seen somebody step forward in faith and maybe, maybe they go pray for somebody in a wheelchair? Anybody been there? What's wrong with y'all? None of y'all. You need to get to church more. Huh? Anybody been there? Amen. What do the religious people say, many times us included, when they don't get out of the wheelchair? Oh, is it his sin, their sin, or, you know, that guy got the timing wrong. What were you doing while he was trying? Huh? What were you sitting on while he was trying? Why do we impugn those who try and, and uh, give ourselves pardon while we sit in complacency? I one time carried a girl from a car to an altar. We stood at the altar. We waited for healing. We didn't see healing. We could do the typical charismatic thing and say, oh, well, it will come. It didn't. It didn't come. You know where a test of trust is? When you don't get what you ask for from the Lord. And you don't understand it. And you don't know why. That is a serious test. But you know what? I know you will never get anything from the Lord if you don't have the courage to ask. I'd rather fail trying every day than fail to try. You go look at Matthew 25 and tell me what the difference between sheep and goats are. How dare we sit in our hard pews or our padded chairs, whichever you like, and do nothing when the Spirit of God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I may not fit well into your theology. I don't fit well into my own sometimes. I have found that God does not fit into these little boxes. And human experience will prove that to you. But His nature is good. And He is all-powerful. And He has never done anything to harm us that would not ultimately heal us in the most eternal of ways. Say, so, well, I just don't know what to do. I don't either sometimes except seek God and do whatever comes to mind. Fabian was talking to me about Reinhard Bunke. I don't know such men. I have not been privileged enough to be in some of those meetings. But I do love the man's attitude. You sit and pray for the will of God. I will run you over from behind while I do it. How much has he already revealed to you? 
How much has He already said that we've left undone and we're praying for more direction? I don't know about you, but when I've told my kids to clean their room and they're asking me questions about a video game they want, I don't pay any attention to them until they have done what I told them to do. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him up with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. Why'd they bind him with two ropes? Well, Samson's a pretty strong dude, right? I mean, I don't know if... If I have to fight with Spencer, I'm not going to bind him with a kite string, right? You know? Would, some, would somebody please subdue this guy? And then you hand him rubber bands. That's, you know? I've, I've got a confession. I didn't think zip ties would work for the police force until they put them on me. And then uh, they work. <laughs> you cannot break a zip tie when it's behind your back. Why they tie him up with new ropes? This is just like the enemy. He's always looking for a way to trip up the deliverer. And it usually comes from those you thought would support you. It almost always comes as friendly fire from inside the camp. It's a new and ever inventive way to trip up the sons of God who are just trying to do something. Because what happens if I'm trying to help Matthew? That's my whole heart. And Matthew spits in my face. How do you feel? Ma uh, Michael's the only one who feels bad. Andrew, how would you feel? Come on, you got a you got a beautiful voice. Speak it out. Talk to us in church. Church is not a sit and soak place, friends. Come on, how would you feel? You feel angry. Do you think Samson's any different? Anybody who ever set out to do something for God, the people don't understand. Have you ever tried to set a bone in a child, lance a boil? Gabriel had boils when he was little. He did not line up and say, Oh, Daddy, would you please cut these things open? He didn't do that. He kicked and screamed the whole time. But I was trying to help him. The devil is always trying to use their actions to bind us up like two new ropes. This is why Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. This is the way that it falls off of us. You refuse to take it personally. In fact, you see it as if it were done to Jesus instead of you because you're his ambassador. Look, they killed Chris Stevens in Libya. That is so sad. What people are failing to realize is that's not an attack on Chris Stevens. That's an attack on the United States. It is, that's not a political statement, but I don't really care if you think it is. It's not an attack on a man. It's an attack on what the man represented. If you stand and represent Christ and somebody is ugly to you, it's an attack on Christ. You don't have to take it personally. He decided in advance to forgive him. Why do we get tripped up on those things? More Christians have been hurt in church. More have. And we've decided sometimes that it's just not worth it. Right? We'll just stay to our own. But Jesus is not like that. And this is not what His Spirit will lead you to do. He will take you from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Jesus' Spirit is always outward focused. Always. I'm not going to ask who struggles with depression here. But I'm going to tell you, I already know the cure. Get filled with the Holy Spirit and get outward focused. Amen. When the devil tries to drag you off in your room to read alone for weeks on end, ask yourself, has it ever helped before? The cure is always to be moved by God's Spirit. Break off those ropes and go to the most needy because it's what Jesus does in you. 
agreed, they answered, we will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him shouting. Isn't it interesting how cowardly the enemy is? He's always looking for you to be entangled somewhere. He's always looking for you to be tripped up so that your eye is not on him. This is why the Bible tells us to be sober-minded, to be vigilant. This is why the Bible tells us to prepare ourselves for action. Look, I'm not against. There are many things that God gave us that are for our enjoyment. Every day when He created things, He said it was good. God did not view the world as some stinking ball of dirt to be left behind. He viewed it as good, precious, righteous, even holy. It had unholiness in it, and it was our job to drive it out. You don't believe me? Isaiah 6 says the earth is full of the Lord's glory. Tell me which part of that you want to leave behind. The minor prophet said the knowledge of the glory of God, it will, it will cover the whole earth like waters covers the sea. Isaiah said the glory was there. And the minor prophet said, our knowledge of it will grow. See, the problem is not that God's not working in the earth. The problem is that we fail to recognize it. What do we call, what is English vernacular for, for a country where genocide is happening, rape and murder is happening, starvation everywhere? What is the English vernacular? Oh, that's God forsaken. It's not God forsaken. It's church forsaken. You and I, we bear the responsibility for that. You know why? We're the body of Messiah. How dare we sit here and just feed ourselves and not care? So why well, I can't do it all? You don't have to. You have to do the thing He tells you to do. We haven't told me yet. What has He told you? Let's start there. Let's go back to our salvation experience. Let's start there. How much of your walk is actually with God, not with traditions of men? See, because when you've been touched by the stuff I've been touched by, you just can't go back comfortably to what you've always done. It changes everything about you. Come on, there should be an amen for that. Amen. Are you all mad at me? No. It's okay if you are, but I be honest. Stand up and say so. If, if I'm lying up here, then tell me, God, I don't want to get it wrong. Of course, if we're telling the truth, we do have to examine what our response is to it. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, The Spirit of the Lord came on him in power. Come on, came on him in power. You know what you will never find? You will never find a scripture that says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in weakness. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and left him barely moved. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him and had no effect. Oh, I know. We're all having confirmation, right? Neat little lines right here. Okay? All of us. Receive the Spirit of the Lord. Where's the Spirit of the Lord came on him in power? Where's it at? You tell me that the Holy Spirit resides in your life, I'm going to ask you where's the power. You tell me that you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit resides in you, I'm going to ask you for evidence. Some of you Pentecostals are going, I've got the initial evidence. I'm not interested in the initial. I want to know what's happening today. Yeah. Because we're supposed to be being filled. It's not a merit badge, friends. We are supposed to have the Lord come on us in power. And what's He doing? He's breaking chains. He's coming against the attack of the enemy in your life. He's breaking chains. The living God desires to set people free. And sometimes the ones that have to get set free first are the deliverers. Friends, that's supposed to be us. But we've sat in our complacency so long. Sat in our, our lazy boy until we became the lazy boy. 
We all quote the Beatitudes, but we are not being any of those attitudes. I've been accused of preaching a works-based gospel. Guilty as charged. If your faith is not producing work, it's not real faith. Right? Faith leads to obedience. Romans 1.5 says it. If there is no obedience, then I show contempt for your faith because it won't save anyone. Do you know that the demons believe there's a God? They tremble at His name. Belief in God. Belief in Messiah. This does not save anyone. Belief in Messiah that produces obedience to Him. It'll save everyone who calls on Him. Everyone. Amen. Unbelieving believers. Fabian was right. The Spirit of the Lord came on him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. When the Holy Spirit invades your life, what you had always been a slave to suddenly does not have power over you. My whole life, I could not quit lying. My whole life, I could not quit lusting. My whole life, I could not quit violent behavior. And the Holy Spirit entered my life those things fell off of me like charred flax. They have been unbreakable chains in my life. But when the living God invaded my life, they ran from Him. Jesus did not die on a cross so that we could sit in our sin and proclaim ourselves Christians. He didn't do it. He did not pour out His Spirit from the third heaven so that we could say we received it and then not show in any way. We are supposed to be the most dynamic thing on the planet. Amen. We're supposed to be life itself. We're supposed to be walking around with the abundant life. The distinction between light and darkness should be found in us so that Peter says, they will ask you what the reason for your hope is. Yes. Some of you have been around the world witnessing just like me. I find Peter's scripture among the most convicted. Because rarely in my life has anybody walked up and said, hey, tell me what the reason you have for hope is. But a Christian's life is supposed to shine so brightly that they're asking you. We're not supposed to have to trap them in elevators. We're not supposed to have to corner them on street corners. They are supposed to ask us because they live next to us. But I'm not saying wait on that. I'm saying start wherever you can. Anytime you see a dying, hurting person, anytime you see a captive of the Philistines, think that you are the reason that God has caused the meeting. Come on now. You got a cure for cancer, Bob. Are we going to sit back and watch people die of cancer? Say, so, well, they don't want the medicine. You would try. You would try. Amen. Come on, saints. We have the cure for sin. The cure for sin. I know. I know what the devil tells you because it's the same thing he tells me. It says you have the cure, but you're still sinning. Stop. Stop. Cry out to the living God. Beat your breast. Amen. Admit it before Him. Ask Him for power over it. And then if you have to cut off a hand to get away from it, get away from it. If you sin with your computer this year, throw it away. If you sin with your television set, even if you have it, you might consider hitting it with a sledgehammer. It's fun. Throw it from something. It's a blast. Do whatever it takes. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped off his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Why would he choose a fresh jawbone? Why not some old brittle one? 
Why did he pick up one that's dusty? <laughs> he wanted it to last, brother. He planned on whooping some Philistines that day. <laughs> he didn't know how many there were, but he knew how many he was going to whip. As many as showed up, come on now. He didn't know how many there were, but he knew how many he was going to strap a beating on. Where is this heart in the kingdom? Where is the heart? That's... There's ten sick. Where are the rest? Let's go find them all. There's five that hate God. Where are the rest? Let's go find them all. Instead, if we have to spend one holiday with one wicked relative, we feel oppressed. Why? Why? Why do you let them push on you and you don't push back? Right. Well, you know, we're Christians. That's right. We're Christians. When they sing praises to their God with those four-letter words, and they sing praises to yours. Say, well, praise God, I'm just not going to talk like that today. Mario, how you feeling, man? You want me to pray for you? You don't seem to be doing well. You wouldn't have to drink so much if you got filled with the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Say, well, they might not invite me back. That's okay. At least the line will be clear. Amen. We've become too civilized. Samson was interested in whipping as many as he could find. Because he was born for the deliverance of Israel. He was set apart among those who were set apart. He was the only one that realized they were at war. And when you're at war, somebody's going to die and you don't want it to be you. Come on, there's kingdoms raging. They're raging. Spiritual violence happening all around us. How dare we not fight? Finding a fresh jawbone. The jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily jawbone. It's time to go to work. It's time to go to work. We need that fresh anointing. We need the anointing. We need the anointing. We've had too much mind of man. It doesn't heal. It doesn't cure. It doesn't set free. At best, it entertains while we go to hell. The anointing will teach you all things. How long have you heard beautiful sermons and beautiful cathedrals, but no change in your life? How dare we settle for that? The living God has called us higher. He's called us further because they need us. People are dying around the world. You've been given the resources to reach them. We don't need more iPhones. We don't. We don't need more iPads. We don't need more, more, more. You know what? We need the satisfaction of having done the will of God. Yes. When you know that you know that the living God used you, it feels good. Yes. Come on now, it feels good. Yes. Hallelujah. Maybe that's the cure for depression. Maybe we need to do something. There's never been more people on antidepressants, more people been given drugs to cure their ADHD, their ADD. There's never been more prescriptions, and yet the problem grows. Maybe there is a different answer. Amen. Look, if I get a headache, sometimes I take Tylenol. I'm not telling you that medication is wrong. I'm not saying that's between you and Jesus, but I'm saying this. You continue to take medicines for something that might be a spiritual problem, and you don't see any change, consider a different prescription. I know more people that slavishly obeyed the advice of their doctor. It's advice and yet it comes as a prescription. And they did it from the time they were 12 to the time that they were 30. And they've been miserable from 12 to 30. How about we try Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. You really think that the world...
world says, the, the word says, be joyful always, pray continually. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus if you cannot chemically do it. Do you really believe that? I don't believe that. If you want to believe that, we will check the fruit in your life five years from today. I invite you to check the fruit in my life. I have all the same thoughts you do. But the Bible commands us to cast them down. Yeah. It commands it. I will not let my emotions reign over me. They are my servant. Amen. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. Don't you love when you feel the anointing? When you feel the anointing, man, you're knocked down what the devil throws at you. You cast off what he's trying to bind you with. And then you can kind of, Holy Ghost, float a little bit. Elijah did this. He said, shout louder. Maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe he's on the potty and he can't hear you. Yeah, I invite you to look into that in the Hebrew. It is an amazing phrase to have used in a religious setting. He said, cut yourself, shout louder. He mocked them. This is Holy Ghost chutzpah, Michael. This is shameless audacity. This is that kind of grit that the British speak about. This is the power of God. Amen. I found out in Mexico this weekend that it's called aferrado. It's when you're bold. And don't care who's looking. Yeah, come on now. Did I get that right? Alvarado? No Spanish speakers? I don't know that one. Oh, it's because you're you're a cracker Spanish speaker. We, we need to get south of the border, and you learn it. You coming with me next time? Because they might have lied to me. It might not mean that. <laughs> I think it means that. With a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. How many men tied up, Samson? Do you remember? Scour. It's the same number got saved at the day of Pentecost. But this time, they're being moved by a different spirit. They're trying to hinder the work of God, not moving it. Three thousand tied him up. How many did Samson kill? A thousand of the enemy. You mean there were three times as many Israelites as there were enemy and they were still scared? Man, what a bunch of... Pansy Christians. Pansy Christians. What happened? But when one stood, the Bible says one will chase a thousand and two will chase. Come on, saints. We need a revelation. We need the anointing. We need the power of God. We won't hide in our holes anymore. We'll go, it's Halloween again? <laughs> Last year, two got saved. Let's see if my neighbors are brave enough to send their kids back. It is so funny. You witness to a child, you know what the first thing he does is goes, what about my dad? So, what about your dad? Go home and ask him. It's a great witness to him. Nothing Amen. quite pierces the heart of a father. Yeah. Like when his own children see that he's a hypocrite. Hallelujah. 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 Better that we tell them than that they find out from him. huh? When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. And that place was called Ramah Lehi. This is such a strange action, Kelly. He threw away the jawbone. If this was mine, if with this purple hand sanitizer, I killed a thousand men, he would sit right here every Sunday as a humble reminder of what your fearless leader had accomplished. And I don't know, if I traveled to speak somewhere, I'd probably polish it on the way and you know, I would set it in the church just to show them what is what is possible with God, not not me, mind you. You know what Samson did with it? Tomorrow it wouldn't be fresh. 
It wouldn't be fresh. God's not interested in your trophies. Many of you have done amazing things for God. He's not interested in your trophies. He wants you to grab His fresh jawbone today. His fresh jawbone today. He's not interested in celebrating our past. Who gave you that past? He did. He's not interested in going back and reliving the glory years. The only reason you remember them is to remind you it can be done again. You know why he didn't need to hold on to the jawbone? Every time he ever needed one, one could be found. Come on now. You seek, you will. Come on. You ask and it'll be. You knock and it will be. It's almost like Jesus anticipates our need, isn't it? If he called you to deliver the people, he will give you the power that it takes to deliver them. When he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramah Lehi. I don't have time to read to you Psalm 145, but it would be a good thing to read. I will hit a couple excerpts from it for you. This is the second verse. Every day I will praise you and will extol your name forever and ever. Then the fourth verse. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. It goes on and on. It actually calls God's working awesome. Yeah, Mom, that's not a word from the 80s in California as much as that's where we first heard it. This is a translation. The best translation of a Hebrew word. And it, it means awesome. When is the last time you could describe God's work in your life as awesome? Now hear me, this is very important. Not God's work in somebody else's life. God's work in your life. We can all agree that God's awesome in Matthew's life. God's awesome in Mario's life. God's awesome in Brandon's life. In fact, all of us will agree God is awesome in everybody's life, but the question is, how about your life? That's the question. We believe Jesus can do anything. We believe it, we believe it, we believe it, but can He do it through you? Or do we sit on our salvation? Do we actually blame God for our inability by doing nothing? Mighty acts. Mighty acts. I nicknamed my son Gibber before I knew what it meant. In Hebrew it means mighty. Gibber Hayil is mighty warrior. It's what God called Gideon while he was hiding in a threshing floor. Friends, you might have been in the group that's binding up people. You might have been on the enemy's team. I don't know where you've been. Actually, that's not quite true. I know you. I know where most of you have been. But God is calling out of us the Gibber Hayil. He is calling out of us the mighty warrior because the world needs it. The world needs him and he deposited himself in you. We haven't gotten to the best part because he was very thirsty. He cried out to Yahweh. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to Yahweh. How did he get that way? How did he get very thirsty? He had been working. He had been working and working in working. One man took on a thousand and he got thirsty. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be. How did you get hungry though? How did you get thirsty though? It's not from sitting on our salvation and hiding in church. Our God pours out the Spirit without limit. The limit in, in on the receiving end is in us. You can't receive in a full vessel. We're supposed to be pouring out. You should know what it's like to expend yourself in His service. You should know what it is to be dog-tired, boss. You should know what it is, having done something for Him. You don't believe me? How many of you have spent all Saturday at a Little League game? How many of you went on a Wednesday night 
I mean, we have to have the kids in bed. It's a school night, unless, of course, it's a baseball game. How many of you went out with your loved one? You had dinner, and that was so much fun. You went to a movie, and that was so much fun. You went for coffee afterwards, and that was so much fun. You sat in the driveway until the wee hours of the morning, but you still had to get up and go to work. See, one thing that is true is we're Americans. We'll do whatever we want to do. So what our heart desires, what our real love is, it shows up in our actions. It does. I would invite you to get thirsty for the Lord. To actually get just slap, I'm about to die, thirsty for the Lord. Isaiah 41. Joy, can you throw that on the screen? Mm -hmm. While she's throwing Isaiah 41, 17 on the screen, I want to tell you about Psalm 36. In Psalm 36, he speaks of a river of the Lord's delights, a fountain of life. It satisfies. Getting in connection with our Father, it fills us in a way that nothing else could. In Isaiah 41, 17, the poor and the needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I invite you to read the rest of the chapter. He has never turned away from the thirsty. Isaiah and Revelation both invite you to come and eat and drink without cost from Him. <coughs> Jesus crafty that He is. There is a hidden cost. There is frying print. He will give you His life, which is better than yours, but He requires you to lose yours. He requires it. We cannot hang on to our lives and take hold of His. That's like trying to be Lord of your life while He's Lord of your life, and it doesn't work that way. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you gave your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Am I the only one that says that this big mighty guy is now whining like a schoolgirl? Isn't he? Not like a school, not like Sydney. Sydney's very tough. Whining <coughs> like an unbeliever. Hmm? He just whipped a thousand men and now what's he whining about? Water. He's thirsty. He's acting like he's going to die. Maybe he was close to death. You ever seen a UFC match? Mm -hmm. Good. You're, you're lying in church. Y'all don't know who George St. Pierre is. Yeah. Yeah. The guy's heads are nodding. They're, they're, they're going, uh, no. These guys go five rounds, right? Five rounds, five minutes each round. When it's over, friends, they know they've been in a battle. What would it be like to face a thousand men? A thousand. You think he was thirsty? I want to encourage you that the problem's always been bigger than the solution to our natural lives. It always has. It always looks overwhelming and impossible. The devil says the same thing always. You can't make a difference. Caitlin ever told you that you can't do it? He tells me that. But you know what? The living God is bigger than he is. Something happens here. We know something about the nature of God. He begins to cry out, and I just wanted to tell you, to me, this is echoed in Michael's message Wednesday. Y'all should listen to that. Is it just a little bit audacious? A little bit, I don't know, almost out of character for Samson to do this great thing, then look at God and go, must I now die? You're going to let me fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? I mean, if that was your son, would you tell him don't talk to God that way? I might. I mean, I genuinely might. It doesn't 
fit the narrative. Unless, of course, he's sure that God wants to give him the water. And if he's sure God wants to give him the water, it's not really a complaint as much as it is a bold statement of faith. It's kind of like going to knock on your neighbor's door at midnight while he's in bed because you know he's the kind of guy who will give you bread. See, my kids are not shy to walk up and tell me what they need, what they want, what they think they must have that they don't really need. They're not, they're not shy to drop a whole Christmas list on me. The thing they hate to hear the most is when I preach that Christmas is unbiblical. But we're Americans, right? I'm not trying to slaughter our idols. I'm going to Mexico. I'm going to Mexico for Christmas. I invite you to join me. I would like to say this. Verse 19 is the point. Then God opened up a hollow place in Lehi. What did he open up? A hollow place. Come on, Kelly. He opened up a hollow place. Something that was poured out. There was nothing left. It was hollow. And when he opened it up and Samson drank, let's see, water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called Enhakor. Enhakor in Hebrew means a fountain for him who cried. I want you to get this sense. If you're dying of thirst, he will meet your need. He doesn't desire that any would perish, and He is the power of a changed life. But we have to get to a place where we're desperate for Him. As long as we got this analytical thing going, well, what will it mean? What will I have to do? How does it have to happen? Uh, do I pass this step? Do you mean there's another step? All of these ridiculous religious questions that would never exist if there weren't so many unbelievers in the church. When you're like, Lord, I'm going to die if I don't have more of you. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what it means. I don't care if it's the end of my life. I need your water. He's a fountain for him. He's in Hakor. The in Hakor principle is that he is a fountain for him who cries. A fountain, not a drink, a fountain, an overflowing waterfall for the sons of God. There's more water than there are workers that need it. He's not, he doesn't have a drought. It's not a water shortage for him. He has an unlimited supply, but there's a limited number of people that have the chutzpah to go after it. We would rather sit back, protect ourselves, conserve ourselves, save ourselves. Of course, what does the Bible really say about all of those things? You protect your life, you lose it. We probably need to come to a close. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. I'd like to tell you that Micah 2.13, Micah 2.13 says, One who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them the Lord at their head. This is like that scripture in Luke that says, Forceful men take the kingdom by force. It's in Matthew 2. The living God will show us how to go how to break out. He will lead us, but it is going to take someone who is willing to take charge. Can that person be found in this room today? I surely don't want to continue to preach on a problem, but Jude 17 through 21 says it's the men who do not have the Spirit who are dividing you. He goes on to say, pray in the Holy Spirit on all occasions and build yourself up in the most holy faith. 
students 17 through 21. And yet we're going to stand and debate about whether prayer in the spirit is for today. Shut up. Shut it down. This is a, We could argue that if there were not millions of believers all over the world that have experienced it. The cessation argument needs to cease. It's just done. It's, it's, it's over done. I'm not going to debate it anymore. In fact, next time I hear it from anybody, I'm simply going to pray in the Spirit and let them listen. If you pray in the Spirit on all occasions, surely that's an occasion. Right? I would like to suggest to you that we wage war, but not as the world does. That we have weapons of righteousness in our right hand and left. You do not need a jawbone. Instead, what you need is the power of the Holy Ghost. That scripture actually goes like this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power. Colossians says we're strengthened with all powers. The First chapter, 10th through 14th verse, strengthened with all power. Now pretend you don't have a Bible for a moment. We're in the midst of the first century. The canon of Scripture has not been closed. We don't have it. You're praying. You have to write to Keith and Floor. You say, Keith, love you, Floor, love you. I just need to tell you something. Could you write that you were filled with all power to them? I think sometimes we've accepted something less than we're supposed to have. I think we get one little warm fuzzy at an altar and we call ourselves good because we're most interested in the minimum. I think God is looking for a Christian that's insatiable. Yes. Come on now. Insatiable. Yes. Matthew, you come on up here. We're going to finish out in worship. While Matthew is doing this, we do not have a formula. I, I'm going to tell you when I'm done praying, you, you're free to go. If you want to stay. You want to worship? I'm going to worship with you because I feel as if I'm just now beginning to get my heart. I'm not ready to go lay down. I'm hungry for the Lord. I'm going to read you one last passage while Matthew reads or worships. This is 1 Corinthians 2. It's 10 through 15. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, we know no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know and understand what He's freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. This is an important line. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. I pray you not be found to be a fool today. I pray that deep is calling out to deep. That somewhere inside you, the Spirit of God is going, yes, yes, yes. And your hunger is beginning to grow. Those who hunger and thirst, they get filled. They get filled, they get filled, they get filled. And in this church we've learned, the reason we get filled is for someone else. God wants you to go be a deliverer to the bound. He wants you to show them that shackles can fall off. And if you don't do it, it goes undone or God has to raise up someone in your place. 
We're going to worship. During worship, there are no long, repeated altar calls. Friends, I'm a preacher. I can do it. I don't want to do it. And I want to tell you why I don't want to do it. If I have to beg you to receive from God, it's probably going to be more of the same for you. But if instead, you're hungry enough to do whatever the Lord would tell you, well, that might be a whole new beginning. We're going to pray, worship. Our service is closed at that point. But if you want to come to the altar, you want to worship in your seats, I invite you to do it. This is not a marathon. It's not an endurance test. It's simply that I'm still hungry. I go back to the buffet many times sometimes. I like to get my money's worth. And Jesus paid so much, I don't think I've gotten all of Him that He paid for yet. Mighty God. Lord, I ask that you are Ruach HaKodesh. Kodesh, Kodesh, Kodesh. Lord God, that your holy, holy, holy spirit would fall upon your people. Lord, that we would find sin intolerable and heaven irresistible. Lord God, that you would pour into us from on high. Lord, that you would pour into us from on high. Lord God, show us our true state that you might fill us to overflowing. Let your people hunger for you. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We love you, mighty God. We love you, Jesus. Lord.